Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I think I want to check how you all think before I tell you how it actually is. All right, that might set me up for it. So why don't we start right there? Here is the reaction to my missing the last few programs unannounced. Carlin Prescott, say hello to the new guy back from the basement. Fair. That's absolutely fair. I did go into the basement unannounced. Let's see. Romy, use ice in ibuprofen. Ibuprofen. Regards, Rome's vasectomy doctor when the operation is concluded. All right, that is part of the speculation, which I will address momentarily. I did miss the last three shows. Very unusual for me. Is it because I got cut? Is it because of a vasectomy? I will address that. Rome Slice. No, senor. No, senor. No, senor. No, senor. No, senor. No, senor. Regards Rome being held down by Janet as they performed his vasectomy. Geoff and Lincoln. I know you clones. I know there was a pool as to determine where the hell is Rome. What exactly happened in Rome? I know a lot of you took, I don't know what kind of odds you got, but I know a lot of you took vasectomy in the pool. I will explain. Maybe you won. Maybe you're right. Dear Jim, it may be a good idea to explain why you were absent as there is speculation swirling, including rumors that you were helping Janet move Iray from the family room into the garage. Chaperoning Logan's SoCal Life Skills class on a field trip to the Botox Clinic. And attending a concerto by the San Francisco Men's Choir performing Parody Larry songs in G minor. Rumor dispellingly yours, Denlesks on extended leave while pursuing a high school GED. Tan Man, welcome back to the jungle. I hope all is well with you and your family. And whatever personal things you had to take care of are handled and everybody is okay. I think you took personal time the past few days off to go into full bounty hunter mode and track down that ass clown, Edward, from Starbucks, so you could give him the hands. I wanted to. Just like I think everybody who saw that story or heard me tell that story about Edward wanted to give him the hands. And I don't condone violence. I don't condone releasing the hands. I don't condone administering the hands, except on my universal list of reasons to go. All right, 1-800-636-8686. Or if you want to submit your speculation as to where I might have been without actually hearing from me where I was, you go right ahead and do so. Hit me up at Jim Rome. Like here, there's more. Rome. Boom. Out of here. Boom. Regards Rome's insurance deductible after the vasectomy. Denny in the 402. Clones. If I was going to have a vasectomy, wouldn't I just say I need a few days, I'm going to get cut? Wouldn't I just say that? Dear Rit, put that microphone down. Microphones are for hosts only. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. Regards Rome, dumping Rit out of his studio chair this morning. 
Ashley in Nebraska. War Lady Clones. Rome. Oh, searing pain. Oh, searing pain. Regards Rome sitting down in the studio chair for the first time after getting cut. LaRue in Norfolk. It seems like there's no money or no bets on anything other than the vasectomy. Maybe you're going to win. You're going to find out soon. Rome, thanks to you, I'm good on McRibs for the next three months. Thanks, Brian Weber. Get off this guy's back. I need this guy. I needed that time to handle something. He was there to pick me up. Anybody else before I get into this? Actually get into what really happened and not what you want to have had happened? Are we good? Are we done? Good. Apparently not. Jimmy. Good to see you back in the chair. However, I did notice that you're sitting up about a foot higher than normal. Did you forget to adjust the tension level on the chair after the beating it took from B-Webb yesterday? Chris in Milwaukee. War tan smack. Missing three weeks back in the day and no one batting an eye. Interesting. All right. For the record, Chris, I never missed three weeks back in the day. I can almost guarantee that I've never missed three consecutive weeks. There are many, many summers like this summer where I've gone two weeks and then taken a week off or two weeks and taken two weeks off and then taken two more weeks. I put it all in the summer. I go as hard as I possibly can for as long as I can and then I take the bulk of my vacation in the summer because we usually had a place to go to in the summer and we will again. Now, finally, if you're done, if you're done speculating, I can tell you exactly what's going on. Sort of. Regarding this controversy involving me suddenly disappearing for three shows unannounced. And I did touch on this yesterday on my Instagram story. Again, why are you not following me on Instagram? If this is something that interests you, and obviously it does based on this response. If it's something that interests you, you could have gotten the update yesterday on my Instagram story as opposed to waiting to hear about it today on the show. I mean, I'm going to get into it right now. But you would have had the story yesterday if you were following me on Instagram. So please do this right now. It is so easy. Follow me at Jim Rome on Instagram because there is content. Great content, exclusive content, inside content, content that does not show up here or on Twitter or on Facebook or anywhere else but there. It can only go on Instagram. So why are you not following me there? If you had followed me on Instagram before this second, you would have heard me address this topic yesterday. From my backyard, you can see how I live, what I do, and what's going on. So finally, like, if you watch the show, and you listen to the show, and you follow me on Twitter, and you follow me on Facebook, why would you not go to Instagram when there are things there that are not here? So we cool on that. Do you get that? Go there right now and just hit Jim Rome, at Jim Rome, hit follow, bam, you're all set. All right. To the issue at hand. Yes, I did miss three shows. Yes, it was unannounced. Yes, that was totally out of character for me. 
No, that's not my deal. I mean, you can talk all the junk, junk you want about all the vacation I take every single year, but you know I grind. You know I grind, and you know I grind through most things. A lot of things that you would never even know about. Why do I say that? Not to be some kind of hero or give myself credit, but I've got a track record, yo. I've done this for more than a quarter of a century. I don't miss days of work. I take a lot of vacation because I get a lot of vacation, but I don't take sick days. I don't take days off. So no, it doesn't make me a hero. I'm just saying, me busting out of here for three shows is out of character. I get that. I admit that. And I get that a few of you were actually concerned, and I appreciate that. But most of you jackals were not concerned at all. Most of you didn't give a damn at all. Most of you were not concerned. You just wanted to instead jump in and talk crap and speculate as to why I was gone. And I get that too. I'm not offended by that because I know you clones better than you clones know yourselves. And I did get into this on my Instagram story yesterday. So let me say it again right here. Let me say again right here what I said there, but elaborate. I really do not want to discuss why I just up and missed three shows, even if it was really out of character. I know you want me to. I know some of you actually think that I owe it to you. I'm not saying what it is. And I'm not saying what it is because it's personal. Now, honestly, as much as I appreciate all of you, and I do, I just don't care to share this bit of information. I hope you can respect that. So I don't want to say what it was. I don't want to say what it was, but I'm more to happy or more than happy to say what it wasn't. And in doing so, I'm going to respond to as much of your speculation as I possibly can. Again, obviously, based on this early reaction today as well, the leader in the clubhouse the, the excuse or reason, which is the secretariat of excuses or reasons, the one that is circling the field is that I took three days off to get cut, to get a vasectomy. As much as you want that to be the reason, that is not the reason. Oh I would tell you, that's not the reason. Hey, you want to hear something absolutely amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? No limit. In fact, it's even more amazing when you consider all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards, that's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes, discover.com slash yes, 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Justin Jefferson's joining us. Let me start right here. If we were to go back to last season, you were the fifth receiver selected in last year's draft. Then you go out and you break records from the likes of Randy Moss and Anquan Bolden. So what was your mindset at that point last year? Like, were you thinking, I'm going to come into this league, I'm going to absolutely light it up, and I'm going to break records all over the place? I mean, was that the mindset? Um, well, my mindset was just proving uh, to everybody else uh, that I was the best receiver in the draft. And, um, you know, I just wanted to prove my case that um, I am an outstanding receiver and I belong in the league. 
Yep. Mission accomplished. In fact, I would say, Justin, you made that transition from college ball to the NFL look relatively easy. I mean, I can't imagine it was. Or maybe was it as easy as you made it look? Or was it more challenging than people think and you just somehow worked through it? Um, That's a difficult question. Uh, but, I mean, I just, I just really just stayed tr- true to myself. Um, I knew what type of talent I had. I knew what type of athlete I was. So uh, I knew what I was capable of, uh, you know, being on the field. So it was really just uh, Kurt just putting his trust into me and, you know, throwing me some balls and me going up and making some big plays. Justin Jefferson's joining us. Well, you knew. The team knew. In fact, there's this great video of the Vikings draft personnel actually laughing and celebrating when Philadelphia passed on you so they could then take you. You told GQ yeah. that you heard some of the questions about you and your game going into the draft. Teams questioning your speed, thinking maybe you were only a slot guy. Now that you've done what you've done already, is there any part of you that wants to say to all the teams that passed on you, hey, how do you all like me now? <laughs> um, I mean, it is what it is now. Um, you know, you, you kind of get over the fact, um, you know, it's, it's already a year in. So um, I'm comfortable with my situation. Um, I, I pretty much love my situation that I'm in, and I couldn't ask for a, a better situation. So uh, really just continue on with uh, my play style and uh, just getting better and better each year. Justin Jefferson's my guest. You know, you had that breakout game in week three when you had seven receptions for 175 yards in your first career TD. You told my guy Jim Trotter that having a game like that against Malcolm Butler opened your eyes up a bit. So what did that game do for your confidence? And then what was your biggest takeaway from that particular day? Um, It definitely boosted my confidence uh, that week. Um, You know, but the whole week leading up to the game, um, Coach Cool finally, you know, gave me the opportunity to to go out and start. Uh, So uh, this is really my debut. Uh, So I wanted to, you know, set a standard and um, to show everybody, you know, what type of player I am and, uh, you know, really just for the whole world and to to show that I shouldn't have been passed up that many times. Right. Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson is my guest. Now, when you and I spoke during the regular season, we talked about you breaking out the gritty for your first TD. Now the gritty has been added to Fortnite. So what does it mean to you, and how much pride is there in being the first NFL player featured in Fortnite? It means a lot to me. Uh, I'm a big video. I I like video games. So uh, to be featured in a video game and to have, uh, you know, a dance that I brought to the league um, in the game, it, it was crazy. It's it so crazy to see that, um, you know, on the game and, and to see so many people doing it. Uh, it it's just, it's just God, man. It's, it's really a blessing to be in a situation and to, to be the first person featured on a video game. You know, in terms of other people doing it, your LSU teammate Jamar Chase went with it when he was selected by the Bengals. What do you make of that? And then what kind of a player are the Bengals getting in Chase? Yeah, we do. We used to do it all the time in the locker room and uh, on game days. So uh, to see him do it and see how happy he was getting drafted, um, that was, you know, a dream come true for him. Um, and, I mean, the Bengals are getting a, a star player. Um, I can't wait to to go up against him uh, this year um, and, you know, get a get a jersey swap with him and Joe. Nice. So, Justin, when you have a season like you had last year, what is the next level 
And then what are your personal goals for the coming season? Uh, just exceeding all of uh, the things that I achieved last year. So just getting over 1,400, getting over 88 catches, and getting over seven touchdowns. So uh, as long as I uh, exceed uh, the expectations that um, that people have for me going into this year and um, just having a better season than I had my rookie year. You're covering good ground with Justin Jefferson. Now, team-wise, last year, the team got off that 1-5 and five start, but you guys went 6-4 and four down the stretch. You were a huge part of that. How about the next step for this team? What does it look like, and does this feel like a playoff team to you? Um, I mean, we really just uh, – that the whole not having fans in the stadium, uh, that was a big, big role um, that, you know, that we were used to. And, um, you know, we had to bring that – that own energy, we had to bring our own excitement to the game. and uh, We were a little late to that last season. So um, as long as we coming in ready to go uh, week one to week 17, um, you know, I feel like we definitely uh, can compete in the playoffs. Listen, I get that you're focused on your own gig, your own work, your own team. But at the same time, when you see what's going on with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, is there any part of you that sees an opportunity in that? Is there any part of you that's thinking, good, we can step in and we can rip this decision right now because of the chaos in Green Bay? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, that's, that's a big, big uh, role, you know, having a player like Aaron Rodgers uh, – you know, not really agreeing with the team and uh, requesting for a trade, um, especially if, uh, you know, them being in our division. So, um, you know, having to see them two, two, uh, two times out the year, um, not having Aaron Rodgers on that side, that definitely uh, will bring some joy to our, to our game. Justin Jefferson joining us. Let me ask you, you also told GQ, quote, my journey is different. I'm going to be the one who's going to control how my journey is, end quote. Personally, I really appreciate that mindset and that approach. So, like, what do you want your journey to be, and then how do you go about controlling it yourself? Uh, I want to be the best, the best ever. Uh, I want to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, I want to have my name next to, you know, Randy Moss and uh, Chris Carter and all of those other tremendous receivers. So, uh, in order to do that, I have to, um, I have to play the best I can each year, and I have to be consistent. So, in order to do that. Um, I gotta stay in my own uh, my own mindset, uh, not letting any outside noise get to me, and uh, just keep playing my own game. Um, as I can see, you know, I can definitely perform at a high level. Uh, you know, just being my rookie year, so uh, me experiencing and uh, getting some more uh, experience throughout the years, I definitely think my game can elevate to the next level. I like that answer quite a bit. Justin Jefferson's joining us. Now you're working with Optimum Nutrition and their national program to build awareness of the disparities in access to fitness and to provide fitness resources in underserved communities. Part of that program is going to be in your hometown. Lay it out for me. Exactly what is that program all about? Can you say that again, please? I'm talking to you about the work that you're doing with Optimum Nutrition and their national program to build awareness and the disparities in access to fitness nationwide. You're going to start in your hometown. Can you tell me about the work you're doing with them in that program? What's it all about? Yeah, um, I am definitely proud to be a part of uh, the movement uh, with Optimum Nutrition. and uh, We're just building better lives, uh, just putting 
some fitness into the community. And, uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's just really a blessing to work with them and, uh, to bring, uh, some awareness to, to my hometown. Let me ask you this. When you and I spoke during the season, we did talk about your roots. We talked about your hometown. We talked about how important that is to you. So then what's it mean to be able to give back? And if people want more information, where do they go to get the information? Say it again. Oh, my bad. The phone is kind of low. I barely can hear. No, I got you, Justin. It's all good. Um, I know it's important for you to give back because you and I spoke about it earlier in the season. What's it mean to be able to give back, especially to your hometown? And if people listening would like more information, where do they go to get it? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, just just from the the first question you said. Um, well, just just seeing all all of my community give us uh, just giving back to them, uh, seeing all of their happy faces, and um, you know them giving me so much love. Um, I definitely uh, wanted to give back to them and, and show how much love that I have for them also. Uh, but um, for anybody that wants to go visit, they can uh, go to the website, www.onbuildingbetterlives.com. There it is, onbuildingbetterlives.com. And he appears courtesy of Optimum Nutrition on Building Better Lives, Justin Jefferson, Vikings wide receiver coming off that great, great year, and a good message right there. Justin, good to have you back. I appreciate that time and you coming on the show. Have a great day. We'll do it again soon. Thank you for sure. Hey, are you craving some protein after a good workout? You know it. Don't make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Make sure you look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, make sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Check this guy out, Mark in Hollywood. He tweets, Rome unexpectedly busts out Thursday. Noted Jim Rome nemesis, Bob Baffert's horse, gets popped for juicing on the weekend. Jim miraculously returns Tuesday. Don't need a tinfoil hat for this one, Jimmy. Mark in Hollywood. Let me see, Mark. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I think that you just accused me of drugging Baffert's horse. All right, so why don't we get into this? And the no, I deny that. I categorically deny that. He, by the way, because of the pandemic, I can't even see my own horses. So how would I get close enough to one of Baffert's horses? So while I was out horse racing, went horse racing yet again, which obviously always puts me in kind of a bad spot, right? Because I'm involved in horse racing. So full disclosure, as I get into this, yes, I am a participant in the sport. Yes, I have been for the better part of a decade and a half. No, I'm not as involved to the extent that I was back in the day, but as part of jungle racing, Janet and I do still breed and race. And on that rare occasion, we still buy into a horse or a partnership. Just not nearly as much as we used to back in the day. And when I say we breed, we have one horse we breed to. It's a very small breeding operation. We have a single horse a year. 
So it's a business, but I never got into the game for the business because more often than not, the business kicks your ass. Believe me, way more people lose way more money than the few people that make money in it. Yes, we had some big years. Yes, we won some enormous races. Yes, we made some dough. Yes, I made a lot of dough in some years. But in some years, you would not believe the amount of money that we lost. And the business beat the crap out of us. And we just lit our money on fire. However, I never stopped loving the equine athlete. I adore the horses. I know some of you have a hard time believing that. Man, I'm in love with the animal. All of them. They're amazing. There are so many things about that game that I love that keep bringing me back. And that's why I'm still in this game. Because when the sport is good, it's incredible. But, but, when the sport is bad, it's brutal. And something brutal happened to the sport. One of the worst things that could happen to the sport did happen when the Kentucky Derby winner, Medina Spirit, tested positive for the drug Bet-Methazone after the race, and could still be disqualified. So yet another black eye for a sport that has already been bruised and battered and taken many a knee. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than the Derby winner trained by arguably not only the best trainer in the sport, but the actual face of the sport. Not my words, but straight from the horse's mouth. No pun intended. hey But if the Kentucky Derby winner tests positive after winning the race and then the sport's most famous, most successful trainer is right in the middle of it, that's another embarrassment for a sport that could afford another embarrassment. Again, on its biggest stage, involving its biggest star, I mean, there are no more eyes left to dot. Of course, Bob Baffert has denied the entire thing. He says he never has given the horse the drug in question, not even once. Never mind that another one of his stars, Gamin, who finished third in the Kentucky Oaks, tested positive for the same exact drug. Bobby B insists they have never given this horse that drug. So, as for how that drug got into the horse's system, if neither he nor any of his staff gave it to him, that's when things got wacky. And Bobby B went into Bobby B mode and said pretty much anything and everything just short of accusing the horse of injecting himself with the drug. Like he suggested that the sample may have been tampered with. One of his tried and true deflections when this type of thing comes up. He also tried to convince us that while he's out here trying to save the sport from itself, the world is actually out to get him, which would suggest he thinks that somehow, some way, someone, you know, as Mark and Hollywood just suggested, somehow, some way, someone, maybe even me, got into the barn and injected his 12 to 1 long shot prior to the race without him knowing. Crazy, right? But far from the craziest excuse that he's gone with in the past. So, he then goes on a brief media tour that only made things worse, not better. Like when he went on Fox News and said that the horse was a victim of cancel culture. Or maybe he was saying that he was a victim of cancel culture. 
But I think he meant the horse. Cancel culture. Huh? I mean, that's an absurd statement to make. In fact, that makes no sense whatsoever. What? Did the horse hoof out a regrettable tweet from a few years back that was uncovered after the race? And that's why everybody is coming for him right now. Because the horse went for the iPhone and hoofed out something really regrettable. Or are you saying that you're the victim of cancel culture because Churchill Downs suspended you after your horse tested positive for drugs after you won the Derby when you have done so many great things for them? Either way, what you're saying really does not make sense. So stop trying to get around this by throwing around catchy buzzwords. Bob, I mean, what are the PC police after you and the horse as well? Like, you're confusing cancel culture with potential discipline for a positive test. There's a big difference. Now, I know you're looking for everybody to give you the benefit of the doubt. But it's hard to do that when you've had five positive tests in the last year alone. And by the way, that's five that we know about. And as far as this notion that everybody's out to get you, why is that? Why? You're one of the best things in the sport, or at least you were. This is a sport that needs stars. The horses rarely are the stars because if they're good enough to be stars, they are quickly ushered off the track and taken right to the breeding shed where the real money is. So in a sport lacking an abundance of real stars, you were it, Bob. So why would they be looking to take you down? Why would they be out to get you when they need you desperately? So, Bob has said some really wacky things after his tests or his horses have tested positive. You know, like I said, like that time he tried to argue that he had a groom taking cough syrup, and that same groom took a leak in a stall on some hay, and the horse ate the hay, and that's how the drug got into the horse's system. I mean, wild stuff like that. Now, today, his explanation is a lot more reasonable. The AP reported this this morning, and I quote, In a statement issued by his lawyer, Baffert said Medina Spirit was treated for dermatitis with the ointment once a day leading up to the May 1 race and that equine pharmacology experts have told him this could explain the test results. Baffert said the horse tested positive for 21 picograms of the substance, which is typically given to horses therapeutically to help their joints and is a violation even at a trace amount on race day in Kentucky. All right, so that is certainly more reasonable than some of these other things he's thrown around. Maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe that is how the drug ended up in the horse and that it was part of another drug that the vet treated the horse with. Maybe. Maybe. But even if that's the case, I'm going to make the argument that I've made for every other athlete who tests positive and then throws the I have never knowingly taken drugs card. Or that the drug was actually in a legal supplement that I was taking. I've said then, and I'll say it right now, you're a professional athlete. Your body is your moneymaker. Therefore, you have to know absolutely everything that you're putting into your body. And if you don't know, it's your job to know. And if you didn't know, you should have known. So if, in fact, that drug that that horse tested positive for was in, in another drug, and then the vet 
administer that drug, then the vet had to know. It's your job to know. Now, because I'm in the sport, and I have people that I know and I respect, and certainly they have something vested, they would argue this. I've had guys try to argue this to me quickly. Jim, you know the traces of that drug in question are not the difference between him winning and losing that race. Jim, you know this. You're in the game. You know it's negligible. You know that it's not blood doping or something like that. That the drug in question, especially with traces, could not have helped the horse that much, much less won that race. Listen, I'm talking about sources that I know, sources I have immense respect for. People really are smart people. My response is, if it doesn't help, why would you do it? My response is, if it's negligible, why would you even risk it? Why would you do that? And again, I say, if you didn't know, it is your business to know. And if you gave the horse that drug knowingly and it doesn't help that much, why would you risk that? Why would you risk that? This just in, two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're just 35. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. And there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. How about that? Keeps offers both and offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months so you do not have to leave your home. Plus, low-cost treatment starting at only 10 bucks a month and keeps offers generic versions. Discreet packaging, proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of the competition. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to act on this thing right now. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome. Receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Rome and get your first month for free. keeps.com slash Rome. Chris Herring is my guest. Chris, great to have you on. How are you? I'm good, Jim. How are you? Good, good. Listen, there are a number of things I want to talk to you about, but why don't we start with the piece you have up on the SI site about how chaotic this season has been. When you look at all the factors, the short offseason, the schedule, the pandemic, the playing tournament, what do you make of how the entire season has played out, Chris? It's like you said, it's been chaotic. Um, It's been pretty nuts just to think about where the Lakers were before they were, were banged up, you know, kind of still in that race for the number one seed and and now it, it looks like they'll make it into the the playing tournament as the you know as maybe the seven or the eight but um you know it's strange that you can fall that far down and it, it doesn't really seem to make a difference it's just kind of who you've got available and i think that's been the the story of the season even a team like oklahoma city could be competitive when they had someone like shea gilgis alexander in the lineup and went six out of eight or six out of nine or whatever it was before he got hurt and then him getting hurt and missing time, you know, maybe Oklahoma City is being extra conservative because they don't mind losing and then go on to lose 13, 14 in a row and lose them by 35, 40 points. I mean, it's just a, it's been a really weird season. And, you know, I know the ratings are going to look a certain way and probably not that great. Um, I do think the Lakers next game will probably do well tonight, particularly if LeBron plays, but, um, but honestly, you know, for all the things that we can kind of point to, and I think we should point to with the pandemic and what that does to ratings through all the sports, um, the NBA has had a really rough second half. The All-Star game 
since then, you know, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks before about the fact that the league has basically never seen this many blowouts after the uh, We're kind of looking at a record high with that. We're looking at a record high with how many um, games All-Stars have missed in a season. And some of it makes sense with the, the protocols and the, the virus protocols, but it's been a pretty rough, uneven season. I think it'll make for an interesting end of the year, but um, ideally we won't have a year like this again. Chris Herring, ideally we never have a year like that ever again because you're right, it's been so strange, so weird, so bizarre, so surreal. You mentioned the Lakers, Chris. What about where they are right now? They had that enormous win over the Suns, and they did so without LeBron James. So what's your sense as to where they are as a team as they head down the stretch? Yeah, I mean, they, they certainly look better. I mean, and I think we saw a supernova performance from Anthony Davis, and, you know, he's capable of that. It's been a while since we've seen it, just as he's been a little bit rusty coming back, and that was a breakout for him. Um, you know, that said, I think it, it obviously all hinges on whether you have him and LeBron. I, I feel a little bit better about their chances with just LeBron as opposed to just Anthony Davis, but the truth is without both of them, um, I think we saw them struggle enough uh, just trying to get into a rhythm uh, when they got one of those two back, or you know, even when they had both of them back, where they lost that really bad uh, game against the the Kings, they, they're going to need to try to get back in rhythm. If you're the Lakers, you hope it doesn't take very long, and you hope that you know they're not in position to have something that's recurring or that is going to hobble LeBron throughout the playoffs. But it, like I said, it looks like they'll make it in. Um, it, it'll be very interesting if they finish as the seven and Golden State finishes as the eight. Um, you know, and have to play against each other in a playing game. I think that's kind of the NBA's dream, um, assuming that, you know, the Lakers and, or the Warriors can't move up to six and, and avoid that altogether. But I, I think they're probably in good enough shape. It's just a question of whether you can keep those guys healthy and whether it takes a little bit of time for LeBron to knock off the rest. And everything that's happened since the season started in late December, everything you just laid out, is there a team or maybe two teams that you are prepared to declare as the favorites to win it all at this point, or is it really just a total com- and complete crapshoot? I, I do think it's a little bit of a crapshoot, only because, like I said, you, you, you basically never had a, a situation where a team might come in as a seven seed and – and, and still be a favorite of sorts, you know, with the Lakers, if, if they can get guys back. Um, but that said, I mean, if you're looking at it and you're assuming that, you know, you need some cohesion and some chemistry, you're probably going to knock the Lakers down maybe a peg. You're going to knock the, the Nets down a peg. And I would say, quite frankly, with the way their defense looks most nights, that that's kind of an unknown, too, that when you're in a playoff series, do you need to play at least some defense or can you just win? you know, a seven-game series, or can you just win four games by scoring 140 every time out? So the Nets are, are kind of a big question mark just because we haven't seen those lineups play together. They've only had seven games together with Harden, Kyrie, and, and Durant. So if you take those two out and you say that you're not going to use them as favorites, it pretty much leaves two or three teams. I, I think the Clippers are one of them. Well, actually, more than that. The Jazz, I think you have to at least give – a shot um, because they've been, you know, kind of ahead of everybody the whole season. The Suns are the curious one because they, you know, they'd never been in the playoffs before and Chris Paul has kind of lifted them to new heights. And so those are two that I think people are going to forget about, but they've been at the top of the standings all year. But I think the teams that are going to be sexier picks because of the cohesion they have and because of the fact that they've got kind of frontline stars that have been there and done that, I think the Clippers are going to be one of those teams. 
Um, and I think Philly and, and Milwaukee would be the others that people are going to say that they really expect something out of because they've kind of been to that stage or they've got the front line guys and they've had good records for the majority of the season. They've been dominant for most of the season. Chris Herring is joining us. Now, Chris, you've got an upcoming book, quote, Blood on the Hardwood, the flagrant history of the 1990s New York Knicks, and quote, absolutely one of my favorite teams and one of my favorite times. Those 90s Knicks teams, man, they were fascinating, and there were so many amazing moments, like that fight with the Suns, which involved Pat Riley, Doc Rivers, Charles Barkley, and Danny Ainge. How would you describe the 1990s Knicks? Whew. Um, I'm sitting here going through edits as we speak, and I, you know, was literally looking at like the closing line of it, and I, you know, I almost kind of described them as these these prehistoric dinosaurs at one point because you're never going to see that again. And certainly to that extent, you know, I've, I'm big on numbers and, and research and everything, and I mean, you had a season in that run where Charles Oakley had more than twice as many flagrant fouls as the guy that finished right behind him. Um, you know, and, and they were just so physical. Um, they had some talent. I think it kind of gets overlooked that they had talent. Obviously, Ewing was there. They didn't have an abundance of it around him and, and in the form of all-stars or, or superstars or anything like that. But that was just a team that nobody really looked forward to playing, um, that nobody looked forward to fighting necessarily, but there were plenty of fights. Um, and it was a team that was kind of established solely on defense. You know, I, I talked out for the book. Um, there was a scout with the Knicks, and he said, well, one, Pat Riley wouldn't just let us come to practice. We had to give, like, advanced as if we were checking into a hotel. But two, I would get to practice after I gave my notice, and second or third time I went to practice, I was bored out of my mind because all they did was practice defense. <laughs> so it was that, and like you said, the personalities. I spent so much time talking to friends of Anthony Mason that have never really talked to reporters before, so it's just kind of this treasure trove of all of these anecdotes. You know, biased, but I'm hoping that it'll kind of shed new light and and just kind of you know speak to a group of fans that have been curious about that team for years. And you know this as well as anyone. Teams that don't win championships normally don't get that much attention. The Knicks never won one, but you know I think that they're worthy of of some attention and and how they've changed the league in some ways, just because the league did not want to see any more basketball. Like that, what we saw with the the Pistons in the 80s. They were an absolute endless source of fascination to me. One of my favorite moments ever, ever in the association was John Starks going baseline offhand over Mike. I mean, I still can't get over that. Really quickly, you mentioned Anthony Mason. So what did Mace's friends tell you about Mace? I used to interview him back in the day, and that was always fascinating. What about Mace? What can you say about him? um, There's so many. The the ones that he tells me about, the, the people told me about, the two-way pagers that he would buy for like his crew of 20 friends to go out and shut down the bars every night. And one of them, one of his friends told me that he, um, he would buy those pagers and that it was almost a source of competition to see which people could get the most numbers from women. But then because Mace bought the pagers for them and the two-way pagers, he had the pin codes for them. So he could change, he could basically kind of stalk the information and steal it. And so he would use it to steal the women's numbers. He would use it to change the voicemail greetings on their phone so that they would sound gay when women tried to call them so that he could more easily steal the women from them. So, I mean, stuff like that, stuff where he, you know, 100 mile an hour accidents that he has on the highway where he crashes into people drinking and the idea of, you know, them whisking, his friends whisking him away so that he won't be pinpointed as the guy that, you know, caused the accident to keep him out of trouble. 
his life was as crazy as you would think, but he was he had a lot of redeeming qualities too. And so just I, hopefully that chapter will come across and, and humanize the guy. But he was fascinating, probably the most fascinating character of those years for sure. Dude, hopefully you get to those edits quickly and you finish it up. Chris, <laughs> I've got sixty seconds. When you talk about those two way pages, are you old enough to remember they were those the the time port nine hundreds? I think those big silver pages we all used to rock on our belts, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think he had the Skytel one. So this was like, what, like mid-90s? I was only, I was five years old, I think, when they hired Pat Riley. Seven years old when they hired Pat Riley. I'm 34 now. If you assume that Baffert cheats, and I'm not saying he does. I'm saying it's a little unusual that all these unusual things keep happening to the same guy. But if, in fact, you assume that he cheats, it's very similar to what we saw in baseball where some of the very best players, not only in the game, but in the history of the game, were cheating. Baffert might be the best to ever do it. Baffert might be the most successful to ever do it. Why would he need to? Now, your argument might be, hey, dope, wake up. The reason he's the most successful is because he cheats. I don't know. And I say this because... You know, this whole thing about why would he? I'm not saying he is, but this question of why would he? I'm in the game. I know how the game works. Not only in full transparency, not only am I in the game, I compete with the guy. I know what I'm up against. He gets his choice of the best horses literally every single year. And that's because he has some of the richest owners that he works with every single year. And they give him millions and millions and millions of dollars to go to auction. And they can basically walk around and say, that one, that one, that one. The best ones. I can't play the game at that level. I'm more now of kind of a moneyball guy. I got to find value. I have to take shots that things are cheaper. Now, there was a time where I didn't take many shots, but the shots that I did take were big-ass swings. And you know what? They almost never paid off. It's the funny thing about the game. The horse that won the Derby, Medina Spirit, was a $1,000 purchase as a yearling. I mean, I can't begin to tell you how absurd that is. Imagine spending 1000 bucks on a horse, and then they flip the horse as a two-year-old, but only for thirty-five grand. The winning purse for the Derby was 1.8 mil. It's a weird game like that. My point is, why would a guy like that need to cheat when he gets the choice of the best horses every single year? And he does. There are other really rich owners and trainers that have that same kind of thing, but maybe nobody more so than Bob. And he's on top, man. He's on top of the game. So why would that guy cheat? Fair question. Like, why would Barry Bonds cheat? He was already going to the Hall of Fame. Now, let me go back to the point that I was trying to make before I had an interview with Justin Jefferson and had to abandon the end of this thought. Because I'm in the game, I know a lot of people within the game. I may have to abandon this thought again at the end of the hour, but because I'm in the game, I know a lot of people in the game. Because I do business with these people. There are people in the game that I know and I respect. Now, these same people have vested interest in the game. I know that as well. But a number of people that I know and respect, all right, I'm not talking about disgruntled gamblers or betters who lost money in the Derby. I'm talking about people I know and respect that are really intelligent, 
who work in the sport have said to me, Jim, come on, man. You know, you know the traces of that drug in question are just that. They're traces. It's not like Bob was blood doping. You know that's not the difference between winning and losing that race. You know it's negligible. You know that there's so many worse things that could have been done. You know that that particular drug with traces could not be the reason that horse won that race. And my response to it again is like it always is. Okay, if it doesn't help, why do they do it? And if, in fact, there are only traces and it's not the reason he won the race, why the hell would he take that risk? If the horse was good enough to win the race and these are just traces, why would he risk all of this? Why? He would argue he didn't, that the vet administered a drug and that drug had this other drug and that's why it's showing up in the system. Certainly a more acceptable explanation than the groom took a piss in the barn. However, again, my argument to that is, if you're an athlete, you know, if you're an athlete, and that's your moneymaker, your body is your moneymaker, body is temple. If you're an athlete, man, you know exactly what you're putting in your body because that is your moneymaker. And if you don't know, you should know. I'd make the same argument here. The horse, body as moneymaker. You know exactly what you're giving that horse. And if you don't know, you should know. Bottom line, maybe Bob is telling the truth. Maybe. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's lying out his backside. I really don't know. I hope. Listen, I'll tell you what. I'm not rooting against this guy in this case. You know why? I'm rooting for the sport. I hope that that other sample comes back and it's negative. I hope he's telling the truth. I hope that everybody else has got it all wrong. I hope that he won that race fair and squarely, that there is a reasonable explanation, and he's not lying. And you know why? I'm rooting for the game. I still love the game. And the game is running out of eyes to dot. If he's not telling the truth... It's a bad thing, and that game can't afford any more really bad things. Stay tuned. Darius Butler is my guest. Darius, what's going on? How are you? Jim, man, how are you? I'm doing good, man. I can't complain at all. Good, dude. Same. I feel great. Listen, you tweeted earlier today, so I want to talk about this, the Cleveland Browns. How are you feeling about the Browns right now after free agency and the draft? How do they look to you? I mean, I I know you were first. You were you were in the front driving this this train, man, and now I'm I'm on it with you, man. They got uh, you know arguably, you know the best roster in football. Um, you know that what the job that Andrew Barry has done, and obviously I'm familiar with Andrew Barry he's with the Colts before he went over to um uh, to the Browns. Very 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 sharp guy, and he's putting his team together the right way. Um, built through the trenches last year in the offseason in the draft um, with the O line. You know locked up Miles Garrett. Added um, Clowney on the other side. You went and got, you know, I feel like snuck getting two first-round picks on defense who could be starters. Signed Anthony Walker from the Colts, who I think is kind of an under-radar signing. I mean, he's, I mean, he's, you get Odell back healthy. I mean, it's just a true. He's done a tremendous job with this roster. Obviously, under the first year with Stefanski, I felt like Baker at Mayfield made uh, great strides. If he continues to get better. I can't even believe these words are coming out of my mouth, but the Browns 
are legit, you know, Super Bowl contender coming in this year. So it's going to be wild to see how those guys, um, you know, live up to these brand new expectations. I think that's actually funny. I can't believe this is about to come out of my mouth, but they're legitimate <laughs> Super Bowl contenders. But Darius, while that's funny, what you said at the very end, I think is really key. Can they live up to the expectations? As an example, when a team takes a major step forward the way the Browns did last season, what is the key to building on that success, not falling on your fast face and making sure it does not come back and bite you in the ass yeah the kid is just not becoming uh complacent and you know last year i can't even imagine the challenges that these guys had to deal with you know with the covid season and then you're, you're dealing with that along with the new coach new staff um so a lot of moving parts and they handled it well so i can only see them you know improving on that this year and um you know it, this is not the norm for them you know last year even with the talent that they had on the roster you know, when the Browns come into the stadium, like I can remember vividly being in the middle of the game and we were probably down a couple scores to the Browns in the second half. And we had, you know, a couple former Browns in our teams, uh, Dequel Jackson, you know, Josh Chris, or someone at the time, he was like, hey, don't worry. The, the Browns, they'll, they'll, they'll screw it up. They'll find a way to screw it up and give us this game. So that was kind of the mindset with the Browns for so long. So now coming into this year, you know, they're going to have that target on their back. Um, you know, they've already performed and, those guys, everybody only expects them to get better. Like I said, getting 13 back out there, healthy Beckham, having that, that dynamic uh, one-two punch in the backfield. And then uh, Baker Mayfield continue to take strides. So um, these guys aren't sneaking up on anybody. Um, I don't think they'll be complacent, uh, you know, going forward. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to watch this young team, you know, compete not only this year, but, uh, you know, the way that they've been built. They're, they're being built to compete, you know, for the long haul. Adding in John Johnson in that defensive backfield, you know, DBs are kind of my specialty. And uh, what he brings to that team, the value they got him at, his level of communication, his high level of play. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about this team, man. Preach. We're talking to Darius Butler. I am too. You said that here's something I never thought that I would say. Now let me say something that I never thought that I would say. There's a guy that I never thought that I would ever be talking about again in terms of the NFL, Tim Tebow, (laughs) yet here he is. As somebody, Darius, who played in the NFL and knows the game, is there a football explanation as to why he is on the verge of signing with an NFL team at this age after being away from the game as long as he has and looking at a new position? I mean, football explanation, it'll be hard to find one, honestly. It, it wouldn't make a bunch of sense football-wise. Now, when you get to the business side of things, which we know football, sports, professional sports, it's a business. You know, it's a business – probably first, honestly. So to get butts in those seats, um, sell tickets, create some type of buzz, some type of excitement, what a lot of people don't know is Tim Tebow is a Jacksonville legend before he was a college football legend, before he you know, was the first-round pick in the NFL. Jacksonville Nice was the high school he went to. He put them on the map and obviously went on to college to do some great things in Gainesville. So the amount of buzz and the following that he has in that area is obviously huge. And then having that relationship with uh, Urban Meyer, you know, it's a, just like any other industry, it's a relationship business. It's not always about how you perform. Uh, sometimes it's more about who you know, and that's just the reality of it. So um, are there a ton of guys out there who deserve opportunities before Tim Tebow? Absolutely, 1,000%. But knowing the nature of the beast and the business side of it, um, it didn't surprise me. And honestly, it won't surprise me if Tim Tebow actually makes the football team. Like, you know, coming into and playing this tight end position, that's one of the positions that we've seen over the years. 
guys come in not only from different positions but different sports. Um, you see, I can't think of the guy's name, the quarterback. He was a former quarterback at VTech, and now he's a pretty good tight end and, um, for the Washington football team. Obviously, Tony uh, Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez. We had Eric Swoop, Mo Ali Cox down in Indianapolis with the Colts. So I've seen guys come in from completely different sports and be good tight ends. Um, so this is a guy who's obviously played the game at the quarterback position. He knows what the tight end should do and where he should be. So now it's about him putting the work in and actually being ready to come in and compete and, and possibly win a spot. But I honestly wouldn't be shocked if Tim Tebow is actually getting reps, um, you know, next season. Darius Butler is joining us, breaking it all down. All right, I appreciate your thoughts on that. Now, as somebody who knows the league, played in the league, you and I just talked about the business side of the game. What do you make, Darius, of the situation between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, and how do you think that plays out? Yeah, you know, you've seen the NFL for so long, and because of the nature of the sport, it's such a team-oriented game. And obviously, you've seen over the years, quarterbacks kind of separate themselves, you know, money-wise. And just like any other thing, any other aspect of business, you know, when you have that money, you have that leverage, you have that notoriety, you have that power, and you're starting to see the quarterbacks kind of move almost like, you know, big-time franchise NBA players are moving. So the franchises have to get on board. These organizations have to get on board and say, hey, we got to do what we got to do to make this guy happy. And I don't think uh, the Packers have done that. Obviously, we saw the situation with Seattle. Um, we saw a situation in Houston with Deshaun, you know, before his personal issues came out. Um, so it, that's just kind of where the league is going. So um, I honestly feel like I know he's still locked up on the contract for a few more years, but I still like feel like Aaron Rodgers has leverage here. He says he's not going to come back and play. He has other opportunities. He can go and live in L.A. and host Jeffrey. You know, you're a California guy. You know how, how hard it is to turn that down. So uh, he, can, he, he can do other things. So I think the Packers – um, you know, they it would be in their best interest, not really, but I mean, you got to f- try to move them and get as much as you possibly can and hope and pray to God that Jordan Love can come in and be at least decent and then, you know, maybe even good down the line. Talking to Darius Butler, to your point about how I live in LA and I know what it's like with Jeopardy. I mean, I'm a SoCal native. I grew up in Los Angeles. I still live in Orange County. If they came to me right now and said, "Hey, do you want me to host of Jeopardy?" I'd give up this entire empire that I've <laughs> built for the past 30 years to go do that. So yeah, man, I see that. You mentioned Darius Jordan Love. Like, if they have to move Aaron Rodgers, if he's got that hammer and he convinces them to move him. How much pressure, then, is there on Love? And considering we really don't know anything about him because we've seen nothing from him on this level, how do you think he would do if he has to be the guy this year? Man, it is, honestly, it's a huge question mark. You know, only the guys that are out there on, the, on that practice field really know. And and even with that, not having game reps, it's a, it's a, it's a huge, huge question mark. So uh, he was, I felt like it was kind of a reach when they went up there and jumped and grabbed him. Um, you know, went to Utah State, obviously a talented kid, but um, you're going from, you know, one of the top three quarterbacks, you know, this game has ever seen. So to step in those, to fill in those shoes in that type of organization where you've had two, you know, 16-year first ballot Hall of Fame type quarterbacks before you, um, it'll obviously be tough on him, but that they went and drafted him for this reason. You know, whether it was A-Rod getting hurt, or moving on, they needed a guy. You know, the best time to draft a quarterback is when you don't need one. So, like I said, they better pray and hope to God um, that he's ready. The fact that he wasn't even suited up for, you know, a number of games last year as the backup quarterback 
you know, that immediately as a player who's been around the game for a while, you know, that that's kind of a red flag. Like, okay, he may be a couple years away from being ready to play. So um, if, the, if the Packers can't smooth this over, which is not looking like they can, um, you know, they, they could be in a tough spot in that uh, NFC North, um, you know, for, for the foreseeable future. Darius Butler played nine years in the NFL. He is the creator and the host of the Everything DB show on YouTube, which is a great show. He's co-host of the Man of Man podcast, which is a great podcast. Darius, as part of your prep for this year's draft, I know you watched a ton of film on Alabama's Mac Jones. What do you make of what you saw from him? Does it feel like he's got an NFL arm to you? Yeah, so like you said, first, this is the first year I really dug into and watching the All-22, you know, that's, you know, the full field. You can see all the players. I got a chance to work with PFF and cover the draft this year. And that was my first opportunity to really watch every throw, every play from these quarterbacks. And um, super, you know, he has it between the ears. He's coming from a pro-style offense, so he knows how to get from read one to three or four, which is extremely important. Um, a lot of people comparing him to <laughs> the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, you know, because he's not that athletic, he's a smart guy, he can work in the pocket. I think it's an unfair comparison, obvious for obvious reasons. But the biggest difference between those two, in my opinion, is the arm strength, like you spoke on, like the arm strength, the zip. What Tom Brady did so well was, number one, identify matchups pre-snap and be able to kind of always have, you know, the defense off balance, whether it was cadence or personnel or motions or just different things that all you always have you off balance know exactly what the hell you're in, and then attack matchups. And then within attacking those matchups, it was a part, you know, the middle of the field, um, you know, tight window throws, option routes, where it pinpoint accuracy and velocity on those throws. And I didn't see a lot of velocity on, you know, Mac Jones' throws. Obviously, he was surrounded by great talent, great play calling. Guys created a lot of space. And he kind of, you know what, no, kind of lollipop those balls in there. And as a DB, as a, as a linebacker, as a safety, those are the quarterbacks that you want to play more so because it gives it's a little uh, more room for error for you as a DB because those guys, those windows are darn near non-existent in the NFL. So you have to – and is that something you can work on and get better? Potentially he'll have some great coaching and some great weapons around him if he gets an opportunity to play. But um, right now, from day one, I don't see him, you know, being that guy. Even though he'll be good for the system, I don't see him fitting in that system like Tom Brady or even like a Jimmy G. Jimmy G has that same short area inside accuracy and zip on his passes. I don't see that with Mac Jones. Darius Butler, my guest. All right, Darius, one last thought. You and A.B. were talking about this on the Man to Man pod. The quarterbacks on the zero excuses list. Where do you put <laughs> yep. Daniel Jones on that list? Where does he rank coming into the season? I mean, he's 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 pretty. I would put him probably three. I forgot where I put him exactly on the show. I had Matt Stafford on that list. Um, Sam Darnold down in Carolina now. Carson Wentz in Indy. Cam Newton in New England. They spent much money getting weapons. And Danny Dimes up there. Well, I'm going to call him Danny Jones. Daniel Jones at this point until he earns that, that name. But uh, they spent a lot of money. Obviously, went and get, got Kenny Galladay. Um, you went and drafted Tony in the first round. Uh, Saquon's coming back. You got Rudolph. You got Ingram. You got all the weapons around you. So it's, it's, it's no excuse for him not to go out there and perform at a high level. You know, he's taking top ten for a reason. I think he has the athletic and the physical ability to make all the throws on the football field. Obviously, he came from some great coaching with Cutcliffe down there, a quarterback coaching down there at Duke. So he has all the things. It's about the biggest thing with him is taking care of the ball, not only, you know, interceptions, but more so fumbles. Like he has a 
unbelievable fumbling issues. But if he can fix that, he has all the weapons around. They built that team the right way for him to succeed. So if it's kind of boom, a boom or bust year uh, for him, in my opinion, in New York. So- Darius, really quickly, one quick follow because you mentioned Matthew Stafford. He's on your list. He's on the short list. How do you like that fit for him in the Rams' offense? I love it, honestly. I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Jared Goff. You know, I feel like coaching um, can cover up a lot of things for some players uh, at the quarterback position. You know, you're that quarter that play caller is in that quarterback's mic for you know up until 15 seconds up on that play clock. And I feel like Sean McVay squeezed every bit of production he could possibly get out of Jared Goff. And the talent between Jared Goff and Matt Stafford, I, I feel like it's a significant gap in talent with you know Stafford being a better quarterback, the better thrower. So if he can step into that offense and give it more layers, uh, along with what that defense has done, they lost some pieces. One of their key pieces going to Cleveland, John Johnson, who I spoke on earlier. But if they cannot play anywhere close to that, what they did on defense last year, and then you bring in Stafford on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, that team, uh, it's no excuses for him not to make a run in the playoffs this year. Let's see what I feel like. I feel like you know exactly what the hell you're talking about. I feel like you're really good at your job, Darius. He is creator and host of the Everything DB Show. That's on YouTube. He's co-host of the Man to Man podcast. I consume both of those really good content. Darius, appreciate you. Great to have you back on the show, man. Thanks so much. Hey, appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me again. Good night now!